0: Sharper than any two-edged sword The Word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword Piercing to the division of soul and spirit Of joints and marrow Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart
1: And God is good. It's so good to be back. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know how you feel, but um, I hated missing. (laughs) You know, Monday came along, and I'm like, I feel like I should be doing something, you know. And I guess that's a good thing. We love to to go through the Word of God, and this is becoming a real habit. They say that it takes about 21 times to create a habit, and we are on Genesis Part 20. Which means that's the 21st time because we had one before we started Genesis. Amen. So why don't we, uh, for the sake of time, go ahead and get into the Word of God. But let's begin with prayer as usual. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for thy Word. We thank you for saints of God who are hungry. Lord, blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be Feel, Lord. And we understand that you are not a respecter of persons, but you are a respecter of hunger, a respecter of desire. And Lord, I thank you for giving us hungry people at Upper Room Church. And I ask you to bless them, bless them going out, bless them coming in. And if they stay for prayer, let them be twice blessed. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we are in Genesis part 20. And just to recapitulate a little bit, that's a very large word for me. I'm from the South, South California and South Texas. Uh, No, I am. I'm actually, I'm a son of Texas. I had uh, three ancestors die at the Alamo, so that makes me a son of Texas. Uh, But uh, we are in Genesis part 20. And just to kind of review a little bit, I want to read Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. Uh, Which we read last time, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. That's what Jesus said. And we saw that Joseph was made a slave in Egypt, which was the lowest position in the entire country. Yet in this low position, he was faithful. In the small things, he was faithful, and he was elevated over the house of Potiphar, where he was, only, he was second only to Potiphar. And then he was cast into, into prison, and he could have decided to just be another prisoner, but he decided to remain faithful in the little things. If you could be any lower than a slave, it would probably be a prisoner, uh, literally, possibly on death row. The death sentence could have come down at in any moment. Any time Potiphar decided that Joseph being alive uh, made him look poorly in the eyes of, of his friends. As an officer of Pharaoh's court, Joseph could have been given the death penalty immediately. So he was even lower. But he decided to remain faithful and he was elevated to a position second only to the prison warden and being faithful in the least he would become ruler over the land of Egypt under Pharaoh and having been faithful in the least he would be faithful in much God will trust you in the greater things and we said that it is not your desire to be elevated that elevates you that's not the the thing that elevates you to great things. It is your faithfulness in the little things that will elevate you to great things. God is looking for people who will be faithful to him. Amen. We're going to see that when we get into Exodus. Uh, At the time that God called Moses, he was probably the, the least likely candidate with the fewest qualifications and a stutter. And God said, you're the man. Why? Because you'll be faithful in my house, Moses. Amen. And that's what God is looking for. And now we come to Genesis, and we are in... I want to get the chapter right. We are in Genesis chapter 41, and verse 41. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and put it up on Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee, and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt." And, you know, the statement that Mordecai said to Esther might well have been spoken to Joseph. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And he did come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, for those of you taking notes, you'll have to look this up for yourself. It's just too long to spell. But it's Zaphonath-Panea. Zaphonath-Panea. And he gave him to wife Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now, Zaphonath-Panea is Coptic. And uh, this is according to scholars. I can't read this particular language. But many believe that it means a revealer of secrets or the man to whom secrets are revealed. So Je- he called, uh, Pharaoh called Joseph Zaph- 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 Zaphonath-Paneah the revealer of secrets or the man to whom secrets are revealed. And uh, Pharaoh gave Joseph the wi- a wife, Asenath, uh, from the priestly family of On. And On is a city... And it was a center of sun worship about seven miles north of Cairo. So that's where all this is taking place, north of Cairo in the land of Egypt. Verse 46, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Who else was about 30 years old when he began his ministry? Do we know of a person? Jesus, Yes, he's about 30 years old. So he had been in the house of Potiphar as a slave and then into prison uh, as a prisoner. And now he is 30 years old when he begins his ministry. So he is going to have seven good years of of, uh, plenty where the crops bring forth. Uh, in the land of Egypt, actually really over the whole world. But he knew that these crops would be uh, good for seven years. Um, So I would say that he was now 30 years old. He was 17 when he left. We're looking at about 14 years, aren't we? About 14 years of the the time of the good harvest, the seven years. And it will be another seven years. Okay, when the bad times begin to happen, and that's uh, 20, 21 years, so that's where we're at now here. But right now we're at uh, 13 or 14 years that he, since the time he was taken away from the house of his father. Uh, And in the seven plenteous uh, years, the earth brought forth by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much, until he left numbering, for it was without number. In Psalms chapter 1 Oh, five, the 105th Psalm, beginning at verse 16. The Bible reads, Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread, who God did. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. When you are in a trial, you are being tried. He was being tried. Don't give up. Be faithful in whatever the Lord has placed in your hand. Even if it means sweeping out the prison cells, be faithful. Trust in God no matter what the situation is. Faith is a word translated from Hebrew and Greek from words that mean faithfulness. And that's why if you have faith, it's not simply just believing, but if you have faith, you will also have works. Joseph had faith, so he was faithful in the little things. And Psalms goes on, "...the king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free." He made him Lord of his house and ruler of all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his senators wisdom. Isn't that beautiful? That God tried Joseph. He allowed him. The Bible says the Word of God tried Joseph. And when Joseph was faithful, he, the, he, God made him the ruler of the land. Can somebody tell me who the Word of God is according to John chapter 1? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. It's part of our homework. What we're doing here is we're trying to find Jesus everywhere, aren't we? We're trying to look for him as we go throughout the Scriptures. So here's one thing that I'd like you to do as we go along, because I might miss something. And actually, we could go all the way back to Abraham. Whenever you see that the word of the Lord came to somebody or did something, take a very careful look because what does the Bible say? The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word came to Abraham and the word walked between the sacrifices. Abraham saw him. The Word of God came to Jeremiah. And the Word of God reached his hand out and touched Jeremiah on the lips. Jeremiah saw him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And so as, as we go through this, I want you to look for the Word. That's just another name for the one who is the essence and the substance of God. That's who he is. And when he speaks, we will see that he speaks as Yahweh. He speaks as God because he is God. Verse 50. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the uh, years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Manasseh means forget in Hebrew. And he gave them Hebrew names. He did not give them Egyptian names. For God said he hath made me forget all of my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. And Ephraim means fruitful. Fruitful. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he may have been second to Pharaoh in Egypt and he may have even looked like an Egyptian, but his heart was still the heart of a Hebrew, a son of Israel. And he gave his sons Hebrew names. And so we now have the completion of the tribes of Israel. Manasseh and Ephraim being half-tribes of Israel. And we talked about this before, but I'll say it again. A lot of the times, especially in the King James Bible, when you see where the Bible says half the tribe, half the tribe of Manasseh, half the tribe of Ephraim, it's not talking about half of the tribe of Manasseh. It's calling it the half-tribe because it's a half-tribe of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh are the half-tribes of Joseph. There are... 12 tribes in Israel and uh, beginning with their birth is Reuben Simeon Levi, Judah Issachar Zebulun, Dan Naphtali Gad, Asher Benjamin Joseph and that's 12 but we see that Joseph gets split into two half tribes Ephraim And Manasseh. And as we go, we'll see that God actually plays with this a little bit. There are 12 tribes, but sometimes Ephraim is mentioned, and Manasseh isn't. You see, God God can play around with a few things, and he does everything for a reason. And when we get to that, we'll talk a little more about that. Verse 53, And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come... According as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians And the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so so sore in all the lands. Now we hear so much about the great power and wealth and the might of ancient Egypt. And it is my belief that the bulk of their wealth came to them because of the wisdom God gave to Joseph. The famine came upon the entire land, and all of the countries around came to Joseph. The Bible says that the famine was on the entire earth. There was no other place to go but to Egypt. And the countries came to Joseph, exchanging their gold and silver for the food Egypt had stored up. And Egypt had what we call today insider trading information. (laughs) They knew how much grain they needed to feed their own people and how much they could sell it off at a premium because they knew when the famine started and they knew when it was going to end. They had vast storehouses of grain that were sold uh, for gold and silver and they They brought out the grain, and they brought in the gold and silver, and they owed it all to God through Joseph. And it is no wonder at all that the archaeologists have discovered vast amounts of treasure, gold and silver, in the tombs of the Egyptian pharaohs. These seven years of famine could have stripped the surrounding nations of all their wealth, and transferred it to Egypt because of this man, Joseph. It makes you think, doesn't it? And it really makes you think later on when we see that there arose a people who did not know Joseph and there arose a Pharaoh who did not honor Joseph or the God of Joseph. And he was a powerful man, pretty much the king of the world at the time, because of what Joseph did. And we're going to come to him and... Exodus. We are now in chapter 42 of the book of Genesis. God always tells the truth. He told Abraham his descendants would go down to Egypt and remain for 400 years. And the nation would remain there and come out. And when they came out, they'd come out with the wealth of Egypt. Isn't that beautiful? They earned it, right? Joseph is the one who earned it. Well, when Israel comes out, We're going to see that they make all kinds of beautiful items for the Lord out of gold and out of silver. Where did they get it? Well, they left with the Egyptians' gold and silver. And we're going to see that in Genesis. Uh, But one main reason for this was God had promised Abraham that his seed would possess the land that was around him, the land of the wicked nations in the area. And I want you to remember this because we will be going into the wilderness wanderings. And you're going to see Israel do some things by the command of God that we would consider criminal warfare today. War crimes. But see, God had mercy for 400 years. He names the tribes. He names the nations. And that's why Israel has to go down into Egypt because the wickedness had not yet reached a point when God felt he was ready to destroy these nations using Israel as a tool. And let me tell you, when he finally does destroy them, they are taking their own children and sacrificing them into idols with fire on the inside, literally ca- causing them to pass through the fire. Their own children screaming and crying out, and that's what they did. They, they would sacrifice their children to their gods, to these demons that they worshipped. And that was the state of these nations when Israel actually is told to utterly destroy them. And But God gave them 400 years and space to repent, and that's why they're going down... Into Egypt, Verse 1, And now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. You may think they like a lot of corn, but this is just the King James Version. This is most likely wheat. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother Jacob, Uh, Joseph's brother Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, I remember distinctly a feeling of guilt that I had as a child, and guilt is a terrible feeling to have. When I was a boy, my family were very poor and we rarely got any expensive gifts. Christmas was a time of op- opening of socks and sometimes chonies and t-shirts and, and usually a, a little bit of disappointment because all the things that we normally should have gotten throughout our, our lives we got during Christmas time. And uh, But one year at Christmas I was given the greatest present I had ever received and that was a huffy bicycle and I was in love yeah you remember that okay so you know like 1970 something right and I mean I loved that bicycle and when a couple uh, uh, of kids from school who had bikes and you got to realize I was always kind of an outcast at school I got beat up more times than I can remember my most of my memories of school I was in the fetal position being kicked or punched or something for whatever reason probably something I said and uh, usually was <laughs> You know, I, I was very direct. I, I had a problem with always telling the truth. And, you know, for instance, if a woman, was uh, a young woman was a little bit on the heavy side and all the kids went up and said, you're fat and ugly, I'd walk up to her to reassure her and let her know, you are not ugly, but you are fat. <laughs> and that didn't go too well with the kids. So, I, I you know, but so... But I was in love with that bicycle. And when a couple kids from school, they they saw I had a new bike. And they're like, hey, you want to go for a ride with us? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go for a ride with you. You know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be one of them. So I, I got on my bike and I followed them and we rolled down to an Albertson's grocery store. And I, I locked my bike up with them. You know, it felt I was a part of something. You know, I was with this group. Locked the bike up and I and once inside, they, I followed them to the candy bar session section and uh, they started hiding candy bars so they would take the candy bar it showed, this is how we do it right and they go into the bathroom and they would put the candy bar in their sock and then walk out and walk out the store so you know I'm watching them okay he got away with it he got away with it all right so I remember I grabbed a whatchamacallit candy bar I don't really like Watch. I don't even I still don't like whatchamacallit and I, I hate whatchamacallit no. but I re- and I walked into the bathroom and I knelt down, and I put it in my sock, and I go walking out, and there's the manager. He looks at me, goes, you're going to give me that candy bar, or are you going to buy it? You gonna What are you going to do with it? I said, what candy bar? Uh-huh. So he brings me in my o- into his office, and he gets the candy bar off of me, and he wants to know my phone number, and uh, I could not remember my phone number at that moment. <laughs> And so I said, well, I can't remember my phone number. We just moved on and on. And he admonished me and gave me a hard time. But he finally let me go. So I, I was home free. So I remember I was unlocking my bike. And his hand touched my shoulder. And he said, uh-uh. I said, you can have your bike back when your parents come. Now, I was ashamed. And I lied. I went home and I told my mother that I was at my friend's house. And somebody stole my bike. And so we went around for two days driving around looking for that bike. And we never finally found the bike because I made sure we never drove to Albertsons. (laughs) But I remember for a year, we moved after about a year, in the middle of the night. I don't remember why. We moved in the middle of the night really quickly for some reason. All the time. But... (laughs) But I remember my mother shopped at Albertsons. So all the kids would go into Albertsons where she'd give them a little treat, buy them a little candy, whatever. So it was always a fun thing. But I would always find an excuse to, I'm going to wait in the car. And I would be in the car dreading that that bike was on display with a big sign on it. This bicycle belongs to a thief. And uh, for a year, every time she went. And I remember that guilt Every time we went anywhere near Albertsons, that guilt would just grip me. And this terrible, terrible guilt that I felt. And I had, I had restless nights thinking about what's going to happen. Because, you know, the, the longer you keep such a thing a secret, the worse it, the worse it actually is. And I am positive that the guilt Joseph's brothers felt after selling their own brother into slavery. must have been incredible. And every time they saw their father's face, they saw the pain in his face, the effect of the suffering and the loss of his beloved Joseph on his, on his face and how it aged him. They felt that terrible guilt. And the longer they took, the longer they remained silent, the worse it became. They could have told him a month later. They could have told him a year later. But now, 13, 14 years later, they're going down to Egypt. And you know what they were thinking about while they were going down to Egypt? They took Joseph down to Egypt And I guarantee you Their thoughts as they went And their conversation as they went were no, Was nothing more than Joseph Remember what we did to Joseph Where do you think he is? Do you think he's still alive? Does he even want to be alive? What did we do? Why did we do it? Simeon, it was your idea Reuben says, I tried to stop you And they come down to Egypt. Verse 6. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he said, he he and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And you know, Joseph remembered that dream. I'm the ruler of the land. Joseph could have given the word, and justifiably so, had them executed. He would not have had to have a trial. He remembered the dream. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. Now we know how the pharaohs of of Egypt dressed, and you know they would shave their head, they would wear some kind of wig, they wore makeup around their eyes. There was a way that these that the royal people would dress. So you've got this young man who, being a Hebrew, would have had a beard, and he's clean shaven, and he's bald. And he's, he's, he's ornamented in a way of the Egyptian nobility. And now, 14 years or so have passed, and they're looking up at their brother, and they don't even recognize him. He had official bearing. He was speaking in Egyptian, and it was being translated into Hebrew. Hebrew. And he handled them roughly. And uh, they must have been trembling, because this is pretty much at this moment the most powerful man on the planet. Or the second most powerful. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's son. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. So um, he basically says, You're spies. And you came to spy out the land. And they're saying, we're not spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. One is not. They didn't say one is dead, but one is not. They've grown accustomed to the double speak of guilty men. They did not know whether Joseph was dead or alive. And their words reflect this fact. One is not, not one is dead. And Joseph said unto them, That is that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved by the life of Pharaoh. Ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother And ye shall be kept in prison that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely ye are spies. So he demanded that one of them bring their little brother as proof that they were not spies. And he knew the situation that would have been in his father's house. He knew Jacob would be very protective of Benjamin, the son uh, of his beloved Rachel. He also knew the turmoil that this would cause among his brothers. Joseph was a very wise man, and he wanted to know something. He wanted to know if his brothers had a repentant heart or if they were the same brothers that threw him into the pit and then sold him into slavery. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them, The third day, this do and live, for I fear God. If you be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother. See, that's where their thoughts are. They're not thinking about Benjamin now. They're not thinking about Simeon. They're thinking about Joseph. And the whole way down they were thinking about Joseph. And while they were there, they were thinking about Joseph, consumed by their guilt. We are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. How strange it must have been for Joseph to listen to his brothers as they spoke openly in Hebrew thinking him to be an Egyptian. And the guilt that they had for 20 years had consumed them. It was apparent to him. They, they were feeling like, my chickens have come home to roost. I told you I'm from the south. They were going to finally pay for what they did to Joseph. They were being ordered by the second most powerful man on earth to bring Benjamin, their youngest brother, the last son of of Jacob's old age down to Egypt where they would surely be made prisoners and sold into slavery. They had no idea that Joseph was hearing and understanding every word that they spoke. And he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into his sack and to give them provision for the way and thus he thus, thus did he unto them and they laid their asses with the corn and departed thence and as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn he espied his money for behold it was in his sack's mouth and he said unto his brethren My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart felled, and they were afraid. Now, normally when you find money, it's a good thing. But when you are consumed by guilt, everything makes you afraid. Everything makes you fearful. And they said one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? They felt that Joseph would accuse them of theft, which would support his accusation that they were spies. Guilt causes paranoia. The guilty person is always dreading the worst, looking over their shoulders. And even ordinary things are looked at with suspicion and fear. And they're saying, what has God done to us? If we return now with Benjamin... We'll all be accused for theft and thrown into prison, or worse. But here's the problem. The famine was over the whole earth. They only had enough food. And when that food was gone, they would die of starvation. And they knew that they would have to return if the famine did not end. And they came unto Jacob their father into the land of Canaan and told him all that befell them, So they told him about their treatment by the Egyptian ruler and that Simeon was kept in prison. They told Jacob, we cannot return unless Benjamin comes with us. And Jacob refuses to let Benjamin go until finally their food supply starts running out. And Jacob now has no choice but to let Benjamin go down to Egypt with his Brothers, You see how God's hand is in everything. God knows. He's going to guide their steps. He told Abraham that your descendants will go down into a foreign nation. And they will remain there for 400 years. And now he's making it happen. He. So many times we just think life happens. But you know, when you're in his plan, life doesn't happen. Uh, Hebrew uh, 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 scholars and, and rabbis like to say that coincidence is not a kosher word. It's not a kosher word. God does not have coincidences. So finally he let them go, carrying double their money to return what they had found in their sacks, and he sent presents to the Egyptian ruler of the good things of the land, and he let Benjamin go with them. And we come to chapter 43. And the men... Uh, verse 5 and the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph and when Joseph saw Benjamin with them he said to the ruler of his house bring these men home and slay I would have jumped at that word if I were there (laughs) It's it's a strange thing they don't know what to think from moment to moment you know, what's going to happen next? They're waiting for the next shoe to drop. And he tells them, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Well, I guess we're going to be slaves of Joseph, so he can, or whoever this man is, Zaphonath-Paneah. So that he can toy with us for the rest of our lives until we finally die as slaves in Egypt. The Bible says, And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, Because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and our asses. He's going to take all we own. He's going to take us. That's why we're in his house. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, hey, we just want to talk to you. Can I talk to you a second before we go through the door? We came indeed down at the first time to buy food and it came to pass when we came to the inn that we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand and other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. Please don't kill us. And he said, well, that's not what he said, but that's what they were saying. And he said, peace be to you, fear not. Your God and the God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their asses provender and they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon for they heard that they should eat bread there and when Joseph came home they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. Twice now they bow down to Joseph and Joseph remembers the second dream. A noon meal was prepared for Joseph's 11 guests. And I like this part. They look around. We'll get to it. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you speak, is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And said, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. Remember, he's speaking through an interpreter. So this is kind of a different scenario. He's not actually speaking to them. He's speaking and then being interpreted for. And and he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. So he could not hold back his tears of joy seeing Benjamin. And, of course, Benjamin is his full brother. Uh, All the others were half-brothers. And he's also the son, of course, of Rachel. And um, he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And they sat before him. Now here's another strange thing. Here's the other shoe that drops. Somebody starts looking around. They're seated at the table. You sit here, you sit here, you sit here, all the way down to Benjamin. (laughs) They start looking around, and they are in the order of their birthright. Beginning with Reuben and ending with Benjamin, how can this be? I mean, that's quite a coincidence. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marvelled one to another, man, this man Joseph is well. This they don't know who he is, but this uh, this Egyptian ruler is not a man to be trifled with. How did he know? the order of our birth. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him, but Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. And that had to be very unsettling to his brothers. If they weren't troubled, they were surely troubled by now. And of course they were troubled. And we come to verse 44 or chapter 44, and he commanded the steward of his house saying fill them in sacks with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money in his sack's mouth and put my cup the silver cup in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money and he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken as soon as the morning was light the men were sent away they and their asses now Joseph was doing a very genius thing here he needed to know, are my brothers the same or have they been changed over the years? They were jealous for Joseph. And no doubt, Jacob had been treating his brother, Benjamin, as someone special. Showing favoritism to him. So he was going to divide, cause division among them and Benjamin, where they would have to choose whether or not to leave Benjamin a prisoner down in Egypt. And that's the genius of this. If they had no compassion for Benjamin, then they would have showed they had no repentance for what they did to Joseph. So Joseph sets him up. He manipulates the situation where they would be tempted to leave Benjamin as a slave in Egypt in order to save their selves. And so he says, take the cup and put it in the younger man's sack and then go after them and arrest Benjamin. Tell the other ones they're free to go. You can leave Benjamin here. You can go home. And let's see what they're going to do. Verse 4, And they were gone out of the city and not yet far off. Joseph said unto his steward, "'Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, "'Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? "'Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? "'Ye have done evil in so doing.' "'And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these same words.'" And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sack's mouths we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of the Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die. And we also will be the Lord's bondmen. And he said, No, also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. I'm only going to take the man who has the cup. All of you get to go home. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest. Do you see the beauty of this? I'm going to just keep you all in, in anticipation. We're not going to begin with the youngest. We're going to begin with the oldest. And once again, how does he know who the oldest is? And the next in line begins at the oldest and goes all the way down searching the sex until he finally comes to Benjamin. Benjamin. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They rent their clothes and laid every man, laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. They did not have to return. They could have said, you know, we left Joseph. We turned Joseph over to Egypt. He became a slave. Why don't we just turn Benjamin over, the little runt? It's just like his brother anyway. But they went and they followed him. They said, we're not going to do what we did before. I'm not going to continue to live under this kind of guilt for another brother. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? What ye not that such a a man as I can certainly divine? They tore their clothes in grief. And this is what their father had done earlier. They caused their father to tear his clothes over Joseph's loss and they were finally broken. The brothers returned and bowed again before Joseph. And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. They were free to go. Only they would not go without Benjamin. This was the truest and final test of their repentance. And Judah now gives one of the greatest speeches in the Scriptures. He pleads with the second most powerful man on the earth. And he says he's willing to sacrifice himself in order to prevent his father from losing Benjamin. Take me, make me a slave. Verse four, uh, chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you, and they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold in to Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. I'm going to end with this. The twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus, the son of David, came to them. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And they took him, and they bound him. And they brought him to foreigners. And they sentenced him to death. And he was hanged up on a cross because of their jealousy, because of their hatred and one day they're going to see him again and he could come with judgment he had the he has the power to utterly destroy them and with good cause but the bible says they will look up on me whom they have pierced and they will weep as one who weeps over a son. And they'll say, Where have you received these marks? And he will say unto them, I received them in the house of my friends. He's coming back to Reuben. He's coming back to Naphtali. He's coming back to Simeon. He's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to come through the eastern gate. In fact, he'll be the next man to enter the eastern gate. There'll be another, there won't be any other person go through the Eastern Gate until the Lord Jesus Christ comes and blows it wide open. He's going to come to the Eastern Gate. He's going to meet the adulterous woman where he met the adulterous woman where they threw her at his feet. And he's going to say to her, where are your accusers? He said, they're not here. And he said, neither do I accuse you. That's what Jesus was doing with the adulterous woman. The adulterous woman is Israel. And Jesus is going to come to, through the eastern gate. He's going to see the adulterous woman, Israel. And they're going to weep over Him as one who weeps over a son. Amen. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Thy Word. We appreciate all that You're doing. We appreciate all that You are. And we appreciate all those who have come to help and learn the Word of God in this place, Lord. We love you. We worship you. We want to come before you in prayer knowing that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And we thank you for being a God of mercy. Amen. In Jesus' name.
0: The Word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword The Word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword Piercing to the division of soul and spirit Of joints and marrow Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart